Tandem Investment Advisors present Tandem Talk, a quarterly financial podcast hosted by Tandem President and Founder John Carew, with additional commentary provided by Billy Little, Ben Carew, and Jordan Watson. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Tandem Talk, Episode 8. I'm John Carew. As always, I'm, in, I'm joined by the Tandem Investment Team of Billy Little. Good afternoon. Ben Carew. Hey, how's it going? And Jordan Watson. Hey, everyone. So this is a regularly scheduled Tandem Talk recording, but there's a lot going on. So it's kind of like a regularly scheduled emergency podcast. Um, there is, needless to say, volatility in the market. The S&P uh, ended this day flirting with bear market territory, but not yet officially there. The NASDAQ is. Um, indices are all over the map. Portfolios less so. Um, and I think we've always been of the opinion here that volatility equals opportunity. So who wants to start with some commentary about what's going on in the world in general? And then we can sort of boil that down into what's going on with us specifically. Yeah, so I think general market conditions, market-wise, just as you said, John, S&P 500 down close to 20% year-to-date. NASDAQ down closer to 30%. Russell 2000 small caps also down around 20%. Um, A lot of that decline has come in the past six weeks, really since the start of Q2. Um, And it has also coincided with another uptick in interest rates. Um, The 10-year Treasury has has breached, come down in the past week or so, but it it has breached 3% to got up to close to, I think, 3.2%, which was the highest since 2018, right before the Fed had pivoted in the end of Q4, back from being hawkish to dovish again. Um, Same time over that past six weeks, U.S. dollars up 7%, which does act as a form of uh, monetary tightening. It's a big move in the dollar. It's a huge move in the dollar. Um, It's It's, it's beneficial to us, though, right? Because we're not, at least we're not importing inflation, right? Correct. Inflation should come down, which you have seen in the five-year, five-year forward break-even rates. Those have also come down in the past uh, past three weeks, past three, four weeks. So inflation expectations built into the market have come down, um, which has coincided with the dollar higher. Um, but it does act as a form of global growth uh, restriction, so to speak. Um, to, to, to borrow in U.S. dollars is a lot more expensive. Um, so that's kind of where we are, earnings done pretty well. We're looking at, uh, we're almost finished. We're probably 95% of the way through uh, Q1 reporting. And earnings are looking to come in around nine, nine and a half percent year over year growth. Uh, Still pretty good. Two thirds of that has been uh, from energy. Um, So the rest of the sectors are are muddling through, but earnings have, have held up earnings expectations have also held up. You're looking uh, starting starting next quarter, Q2, going through Q1 of next year, so the, the next four quarters, you're looking at growth of still 10%. Um, so earnings expectations 
uh, have remained anchored. Now, I think we're probably going to get in here in a few minutes. Uh, what has happened in the past week uh, concerning earnings? So there is some risk, uh, risk to that. But we've talked about for a while this valuation correction. Um, we peaked Q3 last year around 24 times. Uh, PE and the S&P 500 were around 17 times right now. Historically, if, historically, you look back, your probably fair value is more or more normalized is around 15 to 17 times. So we're 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 close to that um, uh, to that metric. So that's where we are in the market, uh, broadly speaking. I think I think one of the things that's interesting, Billy, about what you were just saying, especially about estimates being held up. Is I feel like that's what the market is struggling with right now, is questioning whether or not estimates should be staying up. Because earnings season, which is always insightful, was especially so this quarter, right? Every single company the entire quarter has said the same thing. The supply chain is really messing up their systems. Freight's up, gas is up, labor's up. I mean, input costs, everything is up. So companies' margins are getting hit. That's going to hurt earnings. But that's all. that was all known, right? I mean, we've known that the entire year. But then on Tuesday of this week, right, Tuesday, Target really threw a wrench in all of that because they were the first one to come out and say the consumer is changing. Everybody up until that point had been pretty consistent that the consumer was strong and really cracks are beginning to show in that consumer theory of growth um, because Target said it's rapidly changed in the last 60 days to where they're now, the consumer being they, they're now going down on big ticket items. They're now switching to private label versus name brands. All of those things are happening, which are signal, those all signal a harder environment for a consumer. And to me, that also sort of means uh, probably questioning E on the PE ratio, um, probably yeah, more so than it has absolutely. yet. Absolutely, I mean, valuation-wise, like I said, you're, you're, you're now in that uh, more normalized more normal range. Now the question comes: Does earnings still hold up? Do the expect it is what is expected actually come to fruition? So I have a question about that. Um, I don't. I confess I don't know where we are from an index standpoint uh, in terms of wiping out the post-COVID boom. But I know that a lot of the uh, erasing of post-COVID gains has been borne by the tech sector, mm -hmm. which we don't have a ton of exposure to. We obviously have Microsoft, but. But that's sort of it, right? Am, am I missing? Uh, well, valuations across. I mean, if you're speaking of valuations, uh, yes and no. You're starting to see it, as Ben said, with Target. So Walmart and Target are perfect examples of this. You know, their valuations have always traded in a, a fairly tight range of, let's say, around 15 times, both of them. After COVID, those things ramped up to 24, 25, Everything 26 times. Right. Everything yeah. took that leg higher. And now what all, you, all you're starting to see is those valuations come, come back down. And to just get back to a no, more normal valuation, you're looking at a 40%, 45% decline in these stocks. That's without changing the earnings component. So we're now seeing compression in everything else, you know, all valuations are starting to, yeah, to come down. To your point, I mean, you said the S&P is trading at what, 17 times right now? Mm -hmm. That's on the high end of the historical range, right? Mm -hmm. So all we've really come back to is something that was historically somewhere between fairly valued and slightly overvalued, even despite all the pain that we've felt so far this year in the marketplace. Well, I think this, that's sort of 
maybe what you're talking about in terms of the new regime evaluations that we got into over the past three years. Yeah, that's that has that has been taken out of the market, or we're close to it. The market's trying to figure out whether or not it's still in that that right. new regime, or whether or not it's going to go back into the old regime, and it doesn't seem to know yet. Correct. Here's what I want to get to, though. What I'm trying to drill down to is is this: valuations are are being taken back to pre-COVID levels. Started with the tech sector, but every other things are catching up. But what about earnings? Were those post-COVID earnings real, or were they simply brought forward? So, if we do see an earnings decline, is it? Oh no. Earnings aren't holding up, or is it simply a normalization of this crazy blip that we saw? I think it's a normalization of the crazy blip that we saw. You know, the refrigerator that you bought, you're not turning it back in. You know, things that you bought, you you bought, but we're not going to see that crazy consumer spend that you saw with all, all kinds of money being handed out during the COVID crisis. That is going to now normalize. I also think, I think normal- that's what we're going through. Yeah. I also think the normalization is happening in margins, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we hit, pe- saying we hit peak margins, I feel like it's still an understatement to say where margins just were. And that's because companies weren't having to spend like they normally do. I mean, travel was down for every single company. Every single company was saving money. And now margins are getting squeezed on labor costs, on supply chain issues, all these things. And that impact, I mean, that feeds its way down to the bottom line. That's what a margin is right and so as you see margins get squeezed i think what you're saying is john what you're saying sorry the the listener can't see me pointing <laughs> pointing to you john what you understood john what you're saying though is you had this this post-covid surge in margins that boosted eps mm-hmm. earnings perhaps artificially so right and we all sort of knew that that wasn't sustainable those margins weren't sustainable and now we're seeing the normalization of that but Billy, maybe I'll take it a step further and, and suggest that after what Target has said, perhaps there also is a question of not just normalization, but maybe sort of some sprinkling of actual slowdown in there as well. Yeah, Ford, did I mean, you want to say something? Yeah, yeah. I think Target is a good example. Billy, to your point, everyone went out and spent stimulus on big durable goods. So ticket prices were much higher at these retailers and thus higher margins, right? Now you're seeing the consumer shift from a durable spend to a more staple-driven spend, which is lower margin inherently, right? So the big-ticket, high-margin items, people went out and they bought and pulled forward uh, that demand. So I think you're seeing that you're seeing that flow through to margins. You know what's interesting, though? Maybe this is sort of a, a change in topic, so if, if it's too early, we can uh, maybe come back to it later. But uh, we've sort of spent some time talking about a change in consumer behavior. And I think that this week also sort of marked a change, or really over the last, call it 10 days, has marked a change in investor behavior. We've had some some pretty sizable drawdowns over the last six weeks on a daily basis and some pretty good upswings as well, right? But it's been pretty orderly. You haven't just seen this complete washout where everything is down on mass. That happened. This week, that happened on Wednesday. Sorry, I'm sitting here trying to remember the days, <laughs> but that happened on Wednesday, right? Everything got sold. Staples were down seven percent. Discretionary stocks were down seven percent. I mean, everything was down. And we've, Bill, you were talking about valuations getting squeezed this year. Part of that was the increase in real yields, right? Mm-hmm. And what have you seen the last ten days? 
real yields are actually rolling over. And the worst days that we've seen in the last 10 days have come when real yields have dropped the most. That's a change in investor behavior. Real yields are now going down because people are questioning the ability to grow going forward. I think that is markedly different over what we've seen over the past five months before that. Can we revisit um, earnings just quickly and then pivot to, to something else? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to think this through. If we had a post-COVID unsustainable surge, really what that means is largely we pulled demand forward. We might have needed a refrigerator um, because we were redoing the kitchen or whatever, but but now we're not going to need another one for 10 years or, or however long refrigerators last. But but so we're going to see a dip in earnings because what would have been normal sales in 2022 happened in 2021. So 2022 could actually be subpar because earnings were borrowed, but that doesn't mean that 2023 and 2024 will experience the same thing. So the market, maybe in a in a perfect environment, can sort of look past that dip, right? John, I think that's an interesting point. I think that's sort of what the market's struggling with right now is how how far out does this sort of weakened demand go? Is it a 2022 issue? Is it a 2023 issue? And I think that that's really the sort of tug of war that we're seeing. And one thing that's been consistent as well across a lot of these earnings calls are most companies think that these supply chain issues are going to sort of alleviate themselves in the second half. And so I really think that even though we just got through this earnings season, July, late July, early August, that earnings season will be really important for the future outlook on companies because they're either going to still be feeling this pressure or they're not. And Target earlier this week, not to keep talking about a company that we don't even own, <laughs> this might as well just be the, the Target talk. <laughs> but to, to sort of bring it back to them, they were pretty certain that this is going to be around for quarters, that this isn't changing. And that is, again, different than what every other company has been saying. So it's hard to tell if, it, is this a Target issue or is this a macro issue that is that is new? And I think, John, that that's what the market's sort of struggling with. So we don't know. Um, let's pivot. Uh, to bring this around to what we do for our investors. Um, And I'm just gonna start with a couple of observations and then see where it goes from there. Billy, you mentioned that um, energy has been strong. Obviously, there's tremendous inflation in the cost of energy. Um, We don't own any. Uh, You wanna remind Take a minute to remind or to comment on energy and remind investors why we don't have any energy in the portfolio. Energy commodities in general um, are very, they're cyclical in nature. They're going to perform typically if, if you don't have su- supply shocks, which I guess you say in many commodity markets we're seeing, to, we're seeing today, but, but energy commodities you know they're going to ebb and flow the most with the with the economy. Economy's doing really well. Energy should should theoretically do, or oil should do much better. Uh, we go into a recession, oil should plummet because um, demand dries up, and so so companies that rely on 
commodities, um, their earnings are going to fluctuate way too much that, um, that it prohibits it from ever getting through our quantitative screens. Which is? Consistent earnings growth through any economic Through cycle. any economic environment, terrific. The flip side of that, with no exposure to that sector, um, we have, I believe, our largest sector weighting, and we are sector agnostic. This is by coincidence, not by design. But I believe our largest sector weighting is in the financials. Um, there's an old sort of rule of thumb in the market that rising rates benefit banks because, or, or at least yield terms, yield spreads. spreads widening where there's a bigger difference in the short end of the curve and the long end of the curve than, than we've been witnessing, that that's beneficial to banks. Yet, we only own one bank and it's only in Mid-cap. one strategy, right? Mid-cap. Um, so who wants to speak to banks, why we're not there, what we are exposed to in financial services, and if a rising yield curve helps Hertz or is indifferent to that? I think I can touch on the bank bit and then pass it off to Ben to talk more specifically about the holdings that we do own. I would echo what, what Billy mentioned about energy and, and banks are just going to be tied to the business cycle, um, tied to consumer spending. So banks' earnings will typically ebb and flow with the economy. Um, so in an economic downturn, you know, folks are defaulting, um, bank earnings are going to take a hit, right? So banks are also a bit too cyclical uh, to make it through our quantitative process. Just to sort of add on to that as well, one thing that happened to a lot of banks coming out of the financial crisis and during the financial crisis is that they were forced to cut their dividend. And that is something that to us is largely unforgivable, (laughs) right? There's no coming back from that. So it takes a special bank to be able to have gotten through the financial crisis and not had to have cut its dividend. I think that eliminates a a lot of banks. Um, Yeah, we have a lot of exposure to the sector generally. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is sort of, I mean, it's financials because that's just what it's sort of categorized as, but you're talking about things that are are largely more sort of recurring revenue. You think about FactSet, which is one of our largest holdings across all three strategies. That's a largely recurring revenue stream for them. Uh, FactSet, Tandem is a FactSet client. We get our financial data from FactSet, right? It's how we get uh, prices and quotes every single day. It's how we run things like our quantitative model. Uh, we will not stop paying for FactSet just because there's a, a recession, right? I mean, that's true for their client base. Um, and I think that, that that is largely different than the demand-driven side that a bank faces or the oil-driven side, like what Billy talked about. So the financials that we do own largely sort of have that more recurring revenue um, or are not your traditional banks, things like insurance, uh, exchanges, and and things like that. So is it fair to say then that in the face of rising interest rates and rising inflation, uh, our exposure to the financial sector is largely immune? Not to valuation corrections, but, but, but... to the actual things acting on a lot of companies out there, do we have some sort of shelter from that? When you're comparing it to banks, yes. Um, Now, whether it's completely immune... Probably not. Yeah, probably not. But it's um, 
But when when people do think of financials, all they think of is J.P. Morgan. Um, and so, yeah, we don't own J.P. Morgan, so we don't. Our financials are not are, are not going to act like like the big banks. So, in that sense, are we immune? We're immune to things that might hurt J.P. Morgan. Fair enough. Um, okay. Any other comment on on sectors in in the market? I think I was going to touch just briefly, Ben. We had a conversation in the trading room earlier this week, um, just looking at how the market was was acting. And I think we talked about this in a previous tandem talk. On the way up, as we were uh, consistently hitting all time highs, we're sort of seeing leadership be passed from one sector to another. We're seeing rotations occur under the hood of the market. And we're sort of seeing the same inverse now. We're seeing these rolling corrections roll through the market. We saw staples get flushed out yesterday. yesterday. Uh, Utilities, um, you know, healthcare was holding up really well and then that got flushed out. So it's interesting to see the market dynamic from a sector perspective under the hood as the torch sort of gets passed along in the sectors. That's never wash. fun to go through when when everything starts getting washed Just out. There's no place to hide. Exactly. And everybody's portfolio starts to feel it. But in terms of in terms of trying to find a green shoot and some of the, the things that clients are feeling and portfolios are seeing and all of that stuff, that's what you ultimately need yeah. to see a bottom get put in. Now I'm not trying to say at all that the bottom <laughs> is in today. This is not this is not a call. But that's when you do see a bottom is when when everything is yeah. now now been sold exactly right i see i see a day like wednesday as being a positive even though the market fell four percent that is a positive for the market moving forward i remember vividly in uh 2000 when the tech bubble burst the s p was down hard we were not i, I think we were positive in in 2000 if i'm not mistaken in the large cap core strategy, which was the only strategy at the time. Um, in 2001, we again captured very little, if any, of the market's downside. 2002, things happened slower back then than they seem to now. 2002, we were basically in line with the market. It was a complete washout. There was nowhere to hide and everything got taken out. But from our perspective, that equals opportunity. And I think we should spend a minute addressing that. We are rightly or wrongly recognized as a firm that is willing to hold lots of cash at times. And I think some people actually perceive that we always hold lots of cash. Um, And yet, in the past, when we've been able to put cash to work because things have been washed out and we saw compelling valuation, which is what happens when you buy low and sell high, by the way. Um, We were aggressive buyers. So can we talk a minute about um, the opportunities that this volatility has presented and that we expect will present if it continues and what that might look like at at the portfolio level regarding cash? Sure, so in in large cap core, we put somewhere between a third and 50% of our cash to work over the past seven, eight months. Um, and we've gotten to add some new names. And this volatility really began when? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. That's when okay. everything really changed in November. And maybe even a, a little bit before Thanksgiving. 
but around that time, mm-hmm. November. Uh, and since then, we've added a number of new names to the portfolio across each strategy. You've seen cash levels in equity fall precipitously, and now they're low single digits. We put half of our cash to work in mid-cap, uh, a third to half in large cap, and that's the way that this is supposed to work. Cool. We've even, in some names, sold and then bought within a six-week period. Are we traders now? No, that's just how quickly markets are moving and how quickly these names are moving. But what's also important uh, that I just want to add is it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen because the S&P is down 4% on Wednesday, and now we have the green light to go ahead and just put 15% cash to work. It's still individual stock by individual stock. And like Ben, you were saying, we were actually sellers, net sellers, through the first couple weeks in April as the market rebounded. Some of those stocks, Brown & Brown, Costco, were hitting all-time highs those stocks have pulled back 25, 30, 35% since then. In and about we can, three weeks. <laughs> in about three weeks. And now we can start adding those, those positions that we took off. We can start adding back to our core position. Right. Um, so you, you, you have the opportunity to trade around it. But when the, when the market bottomed, made its first bottom uh, in March, down 15%, 16%, not everything had fallen at that point. Um, and still, to this day, not everything is still ex- extremely undervalued. Um, it, it, it goes in waves, as, as Jordan was saying. You have, you have corrections, um, rolling corrections under the hood. And so that's what we're saying. So it's, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It will be one-offs um, when, we, when we are buying or when we are adding two positions. Um, I think that's, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that the index and the companies we own sometimes have nothing in common. We can own companies that are going up when the market is going down. We might own companies that are going down when the market is going up. We might own companies that just go down before the market does. It's, this really is company by company. It is not driven by the S&P 500. So with that in mind, Billy, you recently wrote in in observations that we are in a bear market. You made that declaration, yet the S&P is not technically in a bear market. Um, So what does that mean to us? Well, from the the market standpoint, um, I mean, technically, someone came up with the idea that a bear market is when you fall 20%. That's nonsense, isn't it? Um, (laughs) I mean, a bear market is, Volatility has risen, and the trend is down. We are in that, Most right? Most stocks have fallen over Most stocks have right? fallen, I forget what it is, 50%, 60% of the S&P has fallen over 20 30%. Yeah. Um, 30%, worse, yeah, 40% have fallen 50%. over 50%. Um, so most stocks most definitely are in a... Um, I guess what is characterized as a bear market. But this, yes, this is a bear market volatility is with us and it's it's going to be volatile on both sides you're going to see you're going to see more days like wednesday um in the future wednesday may 18th for the record wednesday <laughs> may 18th 2022 s&p <laughs> dropped four percent um you're also going to see 
the days where the S&P is up four, five, six percent. That happens in bear markets. Some of the largest one day swings happen in bear markets. It's like what we saw in March of 20, right? Mm-hmm. We, we were down six, seven percent some days, but we were also up six, seven percent some days. And I think that that volatility is here to stay. And that's when it is useful to be an, a, a, a team that that really practices buying low and selling high because you don't have to be fully invested at all times. So what happens when when we have a Wednesday, May 18th kind of day or a couple of those in a row? Guess what? You get to put cash to work. All of a sudden you get like what we saw in April where things rally really, really strongly for a couple weeks. What do you get to do? You get to take some money off the table and names that are expensive again. And so I think being more nimble is a benefit in one of those more volatile times like what we see today. And, and I would like to take a second to speak directly to the listener, if I may. And it's simply this, in you know, I referenced 2000, 2001, 2002. That was a three-year bull market. Bear market. Um, bear market. Um, the financial crisis was half that time, if not more than that. The COVID bear market was 22 <laughs> trading days and the first day after the bottom was put in, the S&P was up nine plus percent. I think the message here is proactively reduce risk in the portfolio while things are good. Hopefully we did that so that you have the ability to take advantage of other people's reactions to bad news. This volatility is an opportunity. I would urge you to stay the course. I can't tell you that the worst is behind us because I have no idea what the next day, week, month, or year holds. But these are companies in these portfolios that we manage that have demonstrated the ability to grow. And so regardless of what their price is doing, that's not what the company is doing. Does anybody want to add to that I think that's well said I don't have anything to to tack on no and I think if you have a an outlook or a time horizon greater than the next week or three months or six months you're going to do well by incrementally putting money to work on days like May 18 2022 right that's when values to be had that is when values to be had and that's when opportunities uh, occur on days like this and in markets that we find ourselves. Opportunities are much less present on September 30, 2021, when markets are close to hitting all-time highs and trading at 24 times forward earnings. That is not opportunity. That's, that is opportunity. It's an opportunity <laughs> to take money off the table, but it's yeah. not opportunity if you're looking to generate future returns. That's funny. I was, I, as you were saying that, I was thinking the same thing. There was so much more opportunity in March of 20 than there was in February of 20. Oh, absolutely. When you're talking about making money being long stocks. But the average investor didn't feel that way in the moment. No, it's hard right. in the moment. You're seeing your portfolio go down. But. You know, just before we got together to, to record this, I, I saw a quote um, attributed to Warren Buffett. I thought it was meaningful anyway. Um, it, <laughs> said, it said that uh, the market, the stock market, is a mechanism for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. I thought so too. I wonder if he actually said it. I well, think, I, think 
I would add just on the quote front, um, it's a quote that I think we may have touched on once before, but in bear markets, stocks return to their rightful owners. So it's worth staying the course, staying invested. That's well said, Jordan. Um, I want to thank you listeners for hanging with us. This concludes episode eight of Tandem Talk. I want to thank Billy Little, Ben Carew, Jordan Watson for participating in this conversation. I want to acknowledge our Director of Communications, Elaine Natoli, whose brainchild this is. She's the producer and director of Tandem Talk. I want to thank our co-producer and audio and sound engineer, Margaret White. She is the voice of Tandem on all of our other recorded uh, media. And I want to thank our co-producer, Julia Hoffman. Also here today, but silent and observing, is Annie Klopstock of our investment team. Thank you all very much. We're going to get through this. Stay the course. Tandem Talk is produced by Margaret White, directed by Elaine Natoli, with music written and performed by Lauren Crepanzano. Nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security, nor construed as financial or investment advice. Tandem Investment Advisors, Inc. does not represent that the securities, products, or services discussed on this podcast are suitable for any particular investor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please consult your financial advisor before making any investment decisions. All past portfolio purchases and sales are available upon request.